You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. God's Word, if you will, and find the book of John. We've been in John now for several weeks, months. The idea of looking at Jesus Christ, the idea of look and live. Last several weeks, we've been in John chapter 8, and Jesus has been at the Feast of the Booths, a Jewish festival celebrating God's provision of delivering the Old Testament people out of Egypt and providing to meet their needs as they wandered in the desert before they entered the promised land. So many verses ago, a couple of chapters ago, Jesus had come into this setting. So here we have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, in the midst of a religious celebration that they are celebrating God's goodness and God's provision and God's sovereign care over the nation of Israel. And he basically says, look and live. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at dialogue and and discourse after discourse of Christ himself teaching to the people about who he is and why he came, what he came to do and, and what that means to them. The same message that we should believe ourselves and share with the world today, who Christ is, why he came, what he came to do, what that means to you and I. But as we look at the text, and as we go back to the text, you may think, haven't we read that before? There seems to be this repetition of Jesus telling them something, and they just not believing it. So here you could say we have the testimony of Jesus and the impact that it has in belief or unbelief. And that's really the impact that the gospel has. It leads to eternal life or it leads to eternal damnation. There's one message, but only two responses. So turn, if you will, to John chapter 8. I'm going to begin there in verse 21 and read through 30. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 21. So he said to them again, you could look at that again and if you wanted to back up to John 7, 32. He's kind of repeating the same thing, but a different setting, probably the same audience, but a different, different time at the feast. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you cannot come. That's a, hang on to that phrase. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? 
And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I have declared to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as his father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Then verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, the precious gift of the word. We thank you for your presence through the spirit. We thank you, Lord God, our Father, that the Son, Jesus Christ, is at the right hand mediating for us. We have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the word. We have everything we need, Father, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that none of us would be as the Pharisees and would leave here not believing in who Christ is. So Lord, open up our heart and our mind to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And this we do pray, as always, in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As a little side note to the, to the sermon, one of the things that I have done for several months, probably several years now if I, I thought about it, is I've always provided uh, the sermon notes, basically my sermon notes on a little website that I put together just to pass along information. My website is not my creative thoughts and my blogging. Uh, my little website I put together a few years ago to help with the preaching and teaching ministry of our church. So for several years I was putting my sermon notes available uh, with the online, uh, and you could kind of follow along because sometimes I get a little confused. I'm vi- it is crystal clear in my mind when I say John 8 and then start reading from Luke 4. Uh, and so sometimes people have said, and, and, and uh, slides are a distraction to me. I can't keep up with what slide should be next and where I do that. So what I've begun to do, this is uh, what I've begun to do is I download my sermon notes on Sunday. So if you do have a smartphone and you can, can, can not be distracted, you cannot go to Facebook, you cannot do any web surfing, but if you go to my website each and every Sunday, you've got my sermon notes and you've got the scriptures that I reference and the big picture of my outline. And so you can literally sit there with an open Bible and a smartphone or a tablet and you're, you're looking at the sermon. So that was a free announcement this morning. Uh, I do things like that because I love the Word of God and I think the better we are as students of the Word of God, the more we're going to understand who God is and how important Scripture is in our life. And so I know I talk very fast. Uh, I've been working all week on a message, and I know I have about 45 to 40 minutes to get in. And so uh, if you want to follow along on, the, on your smartphone as I preach, please open your Bible. Uh, but if you want to follow along. So 
That's that. Now back to John. I struggle with the whole idea. If you read the Bible sometimes and you put yourself in the Bible and you think, what are these people thinking? I mean, how can Jesus Christ be standing in front of them and they not understand what he is saying? How can they miss this? Well, I'm going to read a pastor's scripture. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17. This is the Apostle Paul, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Word of God, right into the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphant procession. And through us, so we've got the believers, we've got the church, we've got born-again believers of Jesus Christ. They're living this life of procession in Christ. It's a triumphant procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, we are a fragrance from death to death. To another, we are a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of the word of God, but we are as men of sincerity, commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. What some strong words. Paul understood after his conversion and his call to be an apostle as he wrote to the church of Corinth, hey, Corinth, you live out the the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You live out that gospel and in the world that we live in, that gospel is going to mean life or it is going to mean death. As you proclaim the gospel, some will believe, some will not believe. Jesus Christ is showing us some will believe and some will not believe. Let's look there at this majority of the verses. So we have 21 through 29 looking at unbelief. and We have one verse that touches on belief. So as we consider that this gospel message is a message of life, We can rest in the fact that we can trust in the power of this message to bring life, but if not received, it will bring death. The unbelieving. We begin there in verse 21. Jesus has said, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. So the unbelieving, notice there's three things that the unbelieving do. The first thing of unbelief is they fail to recognize the need for the cross. When Jesus came as an earthly man, he came, left heaven to come. His one mission to come was Calvary. That was it. When he was a child and was born of Mary and Joseph and he, he lived his life, when he was baptized by uh, John the Baptist and, and that ministry truly began, everything Jesus Christ did was so that he would go to the cross. He knew exactly what was going on. But what the religious people failed to recognize is their need for a Savior to go 
to the cross. Notice what he says. I go away and you will seek me, but yet you will die in your what? Sin. I go away. I'm going to a cross. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And where I go, you cannot go. You cannot go. Because you've got your sin. Think about the world today. The world today fails to recognize the need of the cross. And that need is my sin. And you think about that word sin. It carries the idea of, of, of missing the mark. It is an issue that is in regards to my who I am in comparison to God's holiness. See, that's the idea about sin. Sin is not a comparison of the world that we live in. We can't, we can't take this pew and say, well, let's rank the sin of this pew in comparison to that pew. Well, I'm not as bad as that pew, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bump up to here, and I'm not as bad as this person, and I don't do things as bad as these people, so I must be okay. In, in the world that we live in, sin is based on what we do in the comparison to other people. What, what is the comparison against? A holy, perfect, righteous God. One of the theologians that uh, many of us read and study one on the name of few Wayne Grudem defines sin this way any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act in attitude and nature nature is who we are for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God from Genesis chapter 3 until the end everyone born from Genesis chapter 3 are under the, the sin of Adam uh, Adam and Eve and we all are born with that, that sin nature anything we do with our nature anything we do with our attitude anything we do with our action that falls short of the moral law of God so rest in that for a second is any of us capable in attitude? We could just stay in attitude, couldn't we? Even if you never do anything that is bad, your attitude is horrible. Because we're, we're running around these attitudes in our minds. So our attitude, our action, our nature, anything in that, anything with our attitude, action, and our moral being that does not measure up to God is sin. And that's what Christ is telling them. I have been sent by the Father to take care of that for you. And they failed to realize their need that Christ could fulfill. They were unbelieving because they failed to recognize the need for the cross. The issue with them was their sin. They were looking for a Messiah, but what they had done is they had taken that which pointed toward the need of Christ, the Old Testament law, and they had added works to it and all these things to it. And so by the time Christ did get here, man had taken what God had given us as good, which was the law, to point toward grace, and they had taken the law and created it what they wanted it to do, and they had molded it into their image instead of God's image, and Jesus Christ was standing right in front of them and they couldn't even recognize him. 
It's really no different than the world today. We've created our own set of rules and our own set of morality and our own set of what is right or wrong, and that is where we base everything. And the gospel is right before us, and we never see it. That's why it's so important that we continue to preach the gospel in a loving way. We, we continue to preach the goodness of Jesus Christ on the cross that died for our sin. Sin is anything we do that God does not want us to do and we do anyway. You know what we've done with sin? We've created all these things for it. I'm a sinner because of the way I was brought up. I'm a sinner because of the way I was born. I'm a a sinner because of genetics. I'm a sinner because I have a sickness. We've turned sin into everything. We're afraid to call everything sin but sin. I don't know if that made sense, but it made sense when I said it. It's, It's wrong. Wrong is wrong and always will be wrong. Sin is always going to be sin. Sin is always rebellion against God. That is what makes Jesus Christ so wonderful. Yes, if all we talked about was sin, I'd I'd be a fun person to be around, wouldn't I? Sin, 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 sin. You're all terrible and going to hell. Go back to my desire to get on the Walmart PA system. You're all going to hell. That's not the whole message. Apart from Christ, we're all going to hell to hell because of sin but that is why Jesus Christ came they failed to recognize the need of the cross number two they failed to recognize the person of the cross Jesus Christ how many times have they asked this question look there in verse 25 who are you it is a good thing that my time of living was not in John chapter 8. If you think Peter spouted off without thinking, could you imagine what, I I couldn't be John the Baptist because that would have already been taken. Are you stupid? He's Jesus, born of a virgin. Did you not hear about the wedding in Canaan? He, He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He fed 5,000. You read it on Twitter. What do you mean, who is he? Are you kidding me? What more does he need to do to prove he is God? In our world today, how hard is it just to accept Jesus for who he is? He is Jesus Christ. And he is Savior and he is Lord. And that's that's who he is. He is a real historical figure that is God in the flesh, that lived a sinless life, paid a penalty for our sin, died and rose on the third day, conquered sin, death, and damnation. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. There's There's nothing else we need. We don't need to put Jesus in skinny jeans and a snapback cap to make him look cool and relevant he's Jesus Christ there's nothing more we need to do with that you know it's amazing there'll be there be I'll step out on a limb a prophetic limb here there'll be people maybe today that walk out of here today and go who is he 
Now, who is this Jesus? Because this is what I mean by that. If you haven't received him as Savior and Lord and you don't love him and love worshiping him and love following him and love telling other people about him, it's like, who is he? I was at a Georgia game a long time ago. I'd much rather watch my home now. And I was six inches from Evander Holyfield before he had his ear bitten off. And it was right when he was becoming famous. And I remember looking over there going, and right before I could say, you're Evander Holyfield, he went. And I thought, well, if I don't do that, then he's going to pound me into the ground because he's a heavyweight boxer. And I just turned forward and kept walking. And then a little bit later on, the people I was with, I didn't know who I was with. And I said, that was Evander Holyfield. Now, if it would have been Evander Holyfield now, I would have said, hey, that's right. But he said, listen, I don't want anybody to know who I am. Evander Holyfield is standing right here, everybody. Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, is amongst us, everybody. And we're asking ourselves, who is he now? Christ right in front of them. God in the flesh. He's teaching them about his deity. He is the Messiah. He is the the Savior. He is a Redeemer. We don't have time to go back and, and read just these last couple of chapters. That's all he has been saying. Just what I have been telling you, verse 25, from the beginning. I am the great I am. The Word became flesh. I am sent by the Father. The Father and I are one. He keeps saying the same thing over and over and over. The festival that they are provide, they are celebrating the provision of God for delivering their life. And He is the great provider standing in front of their life. And they do not recognize Him. Number three, if we think about these unbelieving, they fail to recognize the work on the cross. Notice there in verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but just speak as the Father has taught me. And he goes on to say that he who sent me is with me and he who has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing. Notice what Christ is saying there. So he said that when you have lifted up the Son of Man, there's a, there's a futuristic uh, event that is about to happen, the cross. This is what he's saying. When I have been lifted up, you'll know who I am. They would have been living in this unless they were to pass between the next several weeks. They would have been alive and they would have witnessed that event. This is such a profound statement. When I am lifted up, you'll know that I am the Son of Man. There's two ways I want us to consider this. One is the spiritual realm. When Jesus Christ in John 21, he says, it is finished. It was a declaration of the the finality of what he had come to do. It is finished. 
is finished. Nothing else needs to happen. I have accomplished all that you have called me to do. From a spiritual standpoint, it is finished. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I come to give life, and I come to give it more abundantly. And he stood there with outstretched hands on that cross, and he said, It is finished. And it was finished. But think about it this way. I I never really spent the time applying what was going on with this verse to the scene. Turn to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. I believe what also is happening here. I don't know if the right word is to say from a physical sense, but from a real sense. We know spiritually what took place when the Son of Man is lifted up and all that was accomplished theologically. But notice what God showed them, I guess practically, physically, I don't know what word I'm looking for, what he demonstrated as he did that. Notice what took place for the spectator as this was taking place, when he said, when I'm lifted up, you're going to know who I am. Look right there in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land. This would have been about noon. The day would have started at about 6 o'clock in the morning. So here we have noon. Now, what does the verse say? Darkness fell over the land for three hours. What do you think that darkness looked like? darkness sometimes we read scripture and we say oh, darkness of the land I know that darkness like the, the plague of exodus the judgment of God over the people of darkness and blindness and just that darkness and what that looks like and for three hours there was complete darkness that fell over the land. You're standing there at Golgotha. You're standing there as the Pharisees, which I'm sure off in their little huddled mass looking over and snickering at all what they had accomplished. Now that we've got this Jesus person out of the way and complete darkness would have fell over the land. As I was reading in Matthew and praying and thinking and studying, one of, the, one of the gentlemen that I was reading and commentators said about this, he said, think about this, the most gruesome aspect of the cross was not the nails in the hand. You ever seen like the, the passion, the Mel Gibson scene where they're, they're beating him and I, I can still remember what that looked like watching that and they're beating Christ and then they, they put the nails in his hand and they, you hear the nail being struck by the hammer and you hear Christ crying out. Well, the commentator said that was not the most gruesome aspect of the cross. He said the most gruesome aspect of the cross is when the sin of humanity was laid upon God in the flesh. And Jesus Christ bore our sin. And it said for three hours the darkness covered the land when the sin from the Father was laid on the Son for us. Three hours, you could say Christ hung there accomplishing something that we could never do. 
when I am lifted up, you'll know who I am. It goes on to say, in about the ninth hour is when Christ cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And then verse 50, he cried out again with a loud voice. And notice this, when he yielded up his spirit, in the moment that Jesus Christ died, what happened? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When I am lifted up, I will show you who I am. Imagine the priest on duty that day at the temple. Darkness had covered the land for three hours. And the commotion going on at Golgotha outside the city. And then all of a sudden there's this huge rip. And the curtain, the veil that, that, that hid the Holy of Holies in the presence of God was literally ripped from the top to the bottom. And God said, we don't need this anymore. My son has provided access to who I am. When I am lifted up, I'll show all men who I am. Then there was a third event. Sometimes I think, it's funny, you ever, we read the Bible and we're just like, okay, okay, okay. Darkness below the land, the temple was torn. Verse 52, the tombs were opened up and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. What does that look like? And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. We just read that? What do we do with that? Oh, well. Everyday common occurrence in old Jerusalem, the old dead people walking around praising God in the streets. There's Aunt Margaret. When I'm lifted up, I'm going to show you who I am. Now, it does make reference to that the resurrection is when they came up out of the grave. I'm not the greatest Greek expert in the world, but I'm going to tell you what this means in the Greek, that the tombs were opened up and dead people were running around shouting glory, hallelujah, and then went to be the Father. Again, if I was there, I'd be running around going, he tried to tell you. Oh, by the way, I won't be here tomorrow. I'm gone. He tried to tell you. Could you imagine seeing all of this take place? The earthquake comes. It's been dark. The temple's torn. By the way, that would have been a, an immediate. Somebody please go tell the religious leaders that are outside at Calvary, at Golgotha. Somebody please go and tell them that the temple veil is torn and as they're running out there, the earthquake happens and they're falling and dancing around tombs of people coming up out of it. Well, they hadn't come yet because that's the resurrection. Gosh, I'd have loved to have been in that little circle there around the cross. Hmm. Do you think he really was? And we don't have time, but we obviously see from a spiritual standpoint, people knew who he was see that's the great thing about God he always keeps his word 
When I'm lifted up, <laughs> you're going to know who I am. Okay, when I'm lifted up, where are you going? They failed to recognize the work of the cross. Verse 30, the believing. doesn't say a whole lot. You turn back to John. And as he was saying these things, many believed. Now, we do need to be careful with that word believed because it could be they, they believed like the multitudes that came after Jesus at the triumphant entry. They, they believed, but then when it came to the cross, they didn't believe. So we need to be careful with whether this is a salvific belief or they just, hey, I'm listening, I'm engaged, what's going on? But here is the key. They believed. Now follow me real quick as I share this with you. John chapter 7, verses 16, 28, and 29. Chapter 7, verse 16, and then 28, 29. And other places around, he had said, I am from the Father, and I have been sent from the Father. Who he was and what he was sent to do. He kept saying, and that we don't have every word that Jesus said. He, he could have said many other words. But he said, I am sent from the Father. I am God in the flesh. I have come to pay the penalty of sin. I have come to fulfill the law. He kept saying, you need to believe these things. There is something that must be believed. And then verse 37 of John chapter 7, he said, if anyone thirsts, then let him come and drink. So then in chapter 7, he is saying, listen, this is what you need to believe, but you also need to come. If anyone thirsts, let him come and to be filled. If you, if you take those words, and we looked at this several weeks ago, if anyone is thirsty, they know they're thirsty. There's a need there. If anyone thirsts, there's something that I need, and I need to secondly come to this to receive it, and that receiving it is from Jesus Christ. If anyone's thirsty, if anyone knows they need Jesus Christ, Christ says, you need to, to come to me, but you need to come only to me, to me, then you will receive. And notice what else that it says. If anyone's thirsty, let him come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. So what did they believe? Just assuming that they were there from looking at John chapter 7 up to this point. They need to believe who Christ is and he was sent from the Father. They need to understand that he is living water and that they can come to him and they can trust in him. And then notice verse 8 verse 12. Chapter 8 verse 12. And then he said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of men. As they came to Christ, as they come to Christ they know that he has everything they need and they would just follow him I am the light of the world if you come to me uh, the law is not the light of the world the old covenant is not the light of the world the new covenant is light of the world what I have come to do is the light of the world if you come to me and follow after me and follow after what I have done and follow after what my father is doing you will walk in light and not stumble in darkness. Two groups. 
They fail to recognize who he is and what he has done. They, they fail to recognize their need for the cross. They fail to recognize the, the person that died on that cross. They, they fail to recognize the, the accomplished, finished, redemptive work of the cross. And then there are those who believe. They listened and understood who he was. They bought into it. They came to him. And then there was an appearance of following. Well, what about now? What's, what's the what now? What about you and I? What do we do? What can we learn? The, the what now, I like to say. One is three truths leave you with. Paul reminded us, Jesus declared it, the gospel is enough. you notice in your bulletin it doesn't really have anything to do with this message but if you notice in the right side of the bulletin is a, an article talking about having zeal for the Lord and being complacent in our Christian life or just complacent in life we're going to look at that tonight I want to encourage you to come back tonight as we talk about the sin of complacency and what a what a terrible sin that is but I point that out because if you read that article, not right now, listen to me now, I'm being selfish. It was written, when was it written? The 1700s? It was written in the 17, 1716. This gentleman talked about complacency and unbelief and the, the lack of, of the power of the church and the lack of people living out the gospel life and the lack of people being excited about anything other than them. That was 1700. That's a long time ago. I say that because I think, we think, that things are so different now that there's no way the gospel is enough today. Well, I want to tell you, the gospel is enough today. Jesus Christ is enough today. Today, people fail to recognize the person of the cross, the work of the cross, the need of the cross. The gospel is enough today as it was in the 1700s to the time of John chapter 8 in A.D. 30-something. The only thing that will bring about change is Jesus Christ, the living water, the great I Am. Number two... Man's greatest issue is and was and always will be sin. Somebody often asks me as a pastor, I get all these pastor questions. How do I know that I'm saved? I get that asked all the time. And I always say something like this. When you did whatever you did, because we're Baptists, you know, we come forward. When you did whatever you did was sin the issue. Was sin the issue. When I was off at youth camp at 12 years of age and everybody came, well not everybody came forward, and I went forward, if I, if I think back in my time and I go, well I think the only reason I went forward because everybody went forward. Or I think I only went forward because the guy said, if I didn't go forward, I'm going to hell. And who wants to go to hell? I had a lady tell me one time that every time somebody makes a profession of faith and gets baptized, she bakes them a cake. And I asked a little girl why she was coming forward to get saved. She said, so I can get a cake. 
if what you did, sin was not the issue, you need to take a deep breath and still your heart and make sure there's a point in a time in your life you repented of your sin before a holy God and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. As you look out in the world today, it's not an economical problem, it's not a political problem, it's not an environmental problem. I don't know what other, there's all kind of things it could be. Those are not the problems. People do what they do because of who they are. Sin is always the issue. So the gospel is always enough. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus is still enough today and that sin is always the issue. And then that leads us to this last truth. We can come to Christ, but in a positive, glorious way, come on His terms. What are His terms? Repentance, faith, confessing our sin and asking Him to forgive us of our sin, coming as our Savior and as our Lord. One of the great things about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and, and you know this, I, if you're visiting with us, don't take this the wrong way. I'm a mess. Okay? Now you walk in and go, oh my goodness, I liked it at this point. I didn't know he had issues. Well, I do have issues, but so do you. We kind of all do. And so even though I have repented of my sin and I, I've come to faith in Christ and he is my Savior and Lord, that word Lord is not some legalistic angry term that you have to do this because Jesus is Lord. I look at it in a positive way. He's Lord. He knows me. He loves me. He knows me. He saved me. It's because of Him I'm even here. Everything about me is because of Jesus Christ. He knows who I am. And He still says, come follow me. He knows what I do well. He knows what I don't do well. He knows what I need to work on. He knows what I'm working on. He knows what I'm not working on. But He is my Lord. And I love Him because He first loved me and I want my life to be centered on everything about His Lordship. It, it would be really easy for me to say, oh, well, I, I love the church because I'm the pastor here and I, I love this building and these walls and these leaders and I love everything we do because I'm the pastor. No, I love this church because Jesus Christ loved me and I love Him. I love sitting and hearing preaching because I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I love being with Him. I love being in Christian fellowship. I like getting up early and coming to Sunday school and eating donuts and hanging out with church people. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. I can hang out in the world and not be the world because Jesus is Lord in my life. It's just not difficult to me. I just don't believe in that lordship salvation you talk about. Well, then you need to get saved. A lost person will never get how wonderful the lordship of Jesus Christ is. I just want to run up in his arms. Every, you know, you think about every, every morning we get up and we can open up the word in a prayer. It's like running up and getting up in the arms of Jesus. He is Lord. And I can't think of a better 
we can come to Christ on His terms. His terms are bring me your sin and give them to me and follow after me and I'll be your Savior and Lord. That's, that's coming to Jesus on His terms. I don't want to come to Christ on my terms. I want to come to Christ on His terms. My terms are not redemptive. His terms are redemptive. You know how hard it is to preach the gospel in a world that doesn't want to hear it? Just as hard as when Jesus preached it. Just as as hard as when Paul preached it. Do I want to tell people they can come to a Jesus and they can create a Jesus that they can come to? Or do I want to tell people you need to come to Jesus, but you come to Jesus on his terms and he'll forgive you of your sins and you'll have life and have life everlasting. The gospel is enough. The issue is our sin. But we can come to Christ we can believe on Christ we can come to Christ we can trust in Christ we can live for Christ we can follow after Christ because of who he is there's going to be two groups of people leave here in just a moment unbelievers and believers and you've been in the presence of a holy God through the word of God and the spirit of God And just as real as Jesus Christ standing before the Pharisees, you've heard the gospel. Will you fail to acknowledge the work of Christ, the person of Christ, and the ministry of Christ? Or do you believe that Jesus Christ came and died for your sin? That whosoever repents of their sin and places their faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, We'll be born again. We'll be saved. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. That it's not man's word, but your word. We're grateful, Lord God, that it is not up to me of how that word is received. We are accountable for how we proclaim your word, but not how your word is received. We are grateful that the gospel is aroma to life, but yet, Lord, it is also an aroma unto death. As we sing this morning, I pray that we respond obediently and faithfully to what it is you're putting on our heart, and our mind to do. And this we ask as always in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.